0: M S W media Hey everybody this episode of the Daily Beans is brought to you by my favorite daily nutritional drink Athletic Greens Athletic Greens is going to give you a free 1 year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase so go to athleticgreens.com/dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And we thank them for their support. Hello and welcome to The Daily Beans for Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022. Today, the January 6th committee homes in on former Vice President Mike Pence's inner circle. Donald directs Rudy to pressure the Department of Homeland Security to seize voting machines. Some of the documents sought by the 1-6 committee from the National Archives were torn up and taped back together again. The New York Attorney General subpoenas the GSA for Trump hotel documents and a little bit of Matt Gates' schadenfreude. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg.
1: Hello. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm just thinking about this whole torn up and taped back together thing. Like someone was like, you know, we have a copy of those, right? And the guy went, oh, shit. Can I have (laughs) yours? No, you can have mine. You need to tape that back together.
0: (laughs) It's just the weirdest Humpty Dumpty ever. Ridiculousness. But hello, hello. Hi. Ah, yes, it is Wednesday. It is Groundhog Day. And so I'm going to probably watch Groundhog Day because I love that movie. Oh, it's a good movie. And then a little bit later in the show, I'm going to be talking with Laura Packard from Healthcare Voter. We're going to talk about abortion healthcare and, and healthcare leading up to the midterms, why, what's important, and how messaging goes and all that good stuff. It's going to be a very good discussion. And then, of course, we'll have the good news, and I'm looking forward to that. I've Wonderful. I've been loving the good news lately. So Please send oh your stuff in for that at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And uh, then I'll ask you if you have any final thoughts. Just want you to be prepared. All right. <laughs> and, uh, we do have a lot of news to get. It's to. a big, big shoe. It's a big right here in our shoe. It's a big shoe. Let's hit the hot notes. Awesome. Hot notes. See All right. there's a big story, a little long, but we'll get through it. And it's not quite complete, as we'll find out. And this is from Mike Schmidt and three other people at The New York Times. This dropped Monday night, six weeks after Election Day. With his hold on power slipping, President Donald J. Trump directed his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, to make a remarkable call. Mr. Trump wanted him to ask the Department of Homeland Security if it could legally take control of voting machines in key swing states. That's according to Three Peeper, People Peeper, Three Peeper, familiar with the meter. And they're talking, of course, on the condition of anonymity. Rudy did. He did it. He called the department's acting deputy secretary, who said he lacked the authority to audit or impound the machines. Nope, not going to do it. Trump pressed Giuliani to make that inquiry after rejecting a separate effort by his outside advisors to have the Pentagon take control of the machines. And the outreach to the Department of Homeland Security came not long after Trump, in an Oval Office meeting with Attorney General Barr, raised the possibility of whether or not the Justice Department could seize voting machines. A previously undisclosed suggestion. That Barr apparently immediately shot down
1: and then immediately retired.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it was like, "Fuck out of here, man. Yeah. The new account shows that Trump was more directly involved than previously known in exploring proposals to use his national security agencies to seize voting machines to have a coup. The existence of proposals to use at least three federal departments to assist Trump and his attempt to stay in power has been publicly known. The proposals involve Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security. Those were codified by advisors in the form of draft executive orders. Now, Hugo Lowell has tweeted that there's more to this story, so I recommend you follow him on Twitter if you're not, because I'm sure we'll be learning more as more of this comes out. But the new info here in New York Times helps to flesh out how the draft executive orders to seize voting machines came into existence and points in particular to the key role played by Phil Waldron. He's the author of that 38-page PowerPoint coup. Now, Waldron's first proposed the notion of the Pentagon's involvement to Trump, former national security advisor, Flynn, Michael T. Flynn, whom he says he served with at the DIA. That's where he was fired by Obama. Flynn was. Now, the plans were among an array of options that were placed before Trump in the tumultuous days and weeks that followed the election, developed by an ad hoc group of lawyers like Sidney Powell and other allies, including Flynn and Waldron. That group often found itself at odds with Rudy and his longtime associate Bernard Carrick, as well as with Trump's White House counsel, Pat Cipollone and his team. So if you're looking for who <laughs> leaked this information and who the anonymous sources are, hmm, Rudy Carrick Cipollone, <laughs> that's probably <laughs> who we're looking at. Here. It's a load of leakage. Now, the meeting with Mr. Barr took place in mid to late November when Trump raised the idea of whether the Justice Department could be used to seize voting machines. And Trump told Barr that his lawyers, my lawyers, told me that that you guys could do it and that seizing the machines would be evidence of fraud. Not is there evidence to seize the machines, but seize the machines and that will show there's evidence of fraud. Right. Don't don't investigate. Just announce that you are. Now Barr told Trump the Justice Department had no basis for seizing the machines because there was no probable cause to believe any crime had been committed. Shot him down. And I remember seeing videos and photos of that meeting with Barr and Trump in the Oval Office screaming at each other, and I bet that I bet this is what they were talking about. It was only after several early options were exhausted that Waldron pitched the idea of using other federal agencies to seize the machines to both Rudy And members of the Trump legal team, and to Flynn and his associates, including Powell and Patrick Byrne, the ex CEO of Overstock and ex boyfriend of Russian honeypot Maria Butina. He is all over this. My goodness. Mm, So is Maria Butina. And here's the weirdest part Giuliani was vehemently opposed to the idea of the military taking part in the seizure of voting machines. That's according to two people familiar. The conflict between him and his legal team and Flynn, Ms. Powell and Mr. Byrne came to a head on December 18th during a meeting with Trump in the Oval Office. And at that meeting, Flynn and Powell presented Trump with a copy of the draft executive order authorizing the Pentagon to oversee the seizure of machines. After reading it, Trump summoned Giuliani to the Oval Office, according to a person familiar with the meeting. And when Giuliani read it, he told Trump the military could only be used if there was a clear cut violation of foreign interference in the election. That's military, foreign. It's a thing. Shortly after the Oval Office meeting, Waldron amended the draft executive order, suggesting that if the Defense Department couldn't do it, the Department of Homeland Security certainly could. And that's when Trump directed Rudy to call Cuccinelli at DHS to ask about the viability. Cuccinelli said, we're not taking part in your weird plan. After Flynn and Ms. Powell left the Oval Office that day, according to a person familiar with the matter, Giuliani predicted that the plans they were proposing were going to get Trump impeached.
1: Well, Hmm. look at that. Hmm. All right. We're moving on, though. When the National Archives and Records Administration... I had to leave this one for you. I appreciate this. So when the National Archives and Records Administration handed over a trove, I really love that word, of documents to the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection some of the Trump White House records had been ripped up and then taped back together. And that's according to three people familiar with the records and the scotch tape. (laughs) Former President Donald Trump was known inside the White House for his unusual and potentially unlawful habit of tearing presidential records into shreds and then tossing them on the floor like a child, creating a headache for records management and analysts who meticulously use scotch tape to piece together fragments of paper that were sometimes as small as confetti as Politico reported in 2018. This guy's a fucking toddler. It's like
0: he's making a little party for himself, rips it up and then like throws like, it whee! up over his head. Like, yeah, like that gif. Yay. Yeah. You know. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the Presidential Records Act, AG, which requires the preservation of memos, letters, notes, emails, faxes, and other written communications related to a president's official duties, the former president's infrangible shredding practices apparently continued well into the latter stages of his presidency. Now, the National Archives on Monday took the unusual step of confirming the habit. So we know this is true, saying in a statement that records turned over from the Trump White House included paper records that had been torn up by former President Trump. Now, the statement came in response to a question from The Washington Post about whether some January 6th related records had been ripped up and taped back together. Some of the documents turned over by the White House had not been reconstructed at all. And that's according to the archives. Just I'm sh- not even sure what that, just a bag <laughs> just of shred them and them confetti out. and like, good luck.
0: That's so illegal.
1: Uh, in its statement, the archives said that, quote, the White House records management officials during the Trump administration recovered and taped together some of the torn up records. Now, these were turned over to the National Archives at the end of the Trump administration, along with a number of <laughs> torn up records that had not been reconstructed by the White House. Now, the Presidential Records Act requires that all records created by presidents be turned over to the National Archives at the end of their administrations. And I'm sure they don't mean in 45 million fucking pieces.
0: Well, yeah, because destroying or concealing or harming or whatever is is against, it violates the Presidential Records Act. It's really interesting here because it is illegal to destroy or deface or conceal or otherwise hide documents, according to the Presidential Records Act. And they it's in- interesting that the National Archives said, hey, the Presidential a- Records Act, they just reiterate that it requires that you do this. And, you know, as we know from Maddow, there's a whole, you know, there's history cops that work at the National Archives. So I'm, I'm assuming they're on this. Other stories. The January 6th committee is closing in on the Pence part of the coup. Greg Jacob, a top aide to former Vice President Pence, met with the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th riot on Tuesday. He was spotted by CNN leaving a meeting room on Capitol Hill used by the committee to conduct witness interviews, and a source familiar with the matter confirmed he was scheduled to appear before the panel on Tuesday. Jacobs' meeting with the committee comes after CNN first reported Pence's former chief of staff, Mark Short, sat for an interview last week. Short, who was with Pence at the Capitol on the 6th and participated in critical White House meetings, especially one on January 4th, 2021. Is seen as a potentially crucial witness in the investigation as the panel pieces together with tape the pressure campaign then President Donald Trump and his allies waged to try to convince Pence not to certify the election. Now, as Pence's general counsel, Greg Jacob played a critical role in countering efforts to persuade the former vice president not to certify the result. Jacob was part of Pence's team who pushed back against John Eastman, the conservative lawyer who wrote the six point coup memo and embraced fringe legal theories about the vice president's ability to overturn the election. Now, if you remember, Dana, Jacob drafted an op ed in January of twenty twenty one that was never published that criticized Trump's lawyers. And he says in that op ed, quote, the outside lawyers pushed a fallback plan, posting that the vice president could instead stop the electoral vote count Congress and refer it out to the states. That suggestion violated several provisions of the Electoral Count Act and has no historical analog and would deprive Congress of its historical statutory role in the vote counting decisions. Now, the committee has long considered Jacob a potential fact witness in the investigation, but he became more prominent following a report in The Washington Post, which CNN has confirmed that Eastman, who was advising Trump, sent Jacob an email during the riot blaming Pence for causing the violence at the Capitol. In addition to Short and Jacob, the committee has already questioned Keith Kellogg, retired general his former national security advisor, who was with Trump at the White House on January 6th, as well as retired Judge Michael Luddig, whose tweets on Pence's role on January 6th were cited by Pence in his letter released the morning of January 6th announcing he would certify the election.
1: All right. And we're going to New York. The New York Mm. attorney. Yep. I always do love when she's the topic of a story. The New York Mm. Attorney General Letitia James subpoenaed the General Services Administration for information on how the agency selected former President Donald Trump's business to lease the historic post office where he developed his D.C. hotel. Now, that's according to two people familiar with that request. The inquiry, AG, part of a civil investigation into Trump's business, it sought information about whether Trump inflated, he did, his (laughs) net worth to secure the lease. And that's according to two people who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss an ongoing legal inquiry and probably because they didn't want the mafia to come after them. The documents James sought included a scorecard GSA used to rank Trump's bid against those of other developers who proposed leasing and uh, redeveloping the federally owned old post office pavilion downtown. That's what it was. Now, that information could fit into James's broader effort to show a pattern of Donald giving false information to business partners, banks, and insurers to secure loans and other deals. Now, James's request appears to differ from previous inquiries into Trump's hotel which largely focused on whether he should have been allowed to retain the deal while in office, period. Now, after Trump was elected, he ignored the calls from Democrats to sell his stake in the lease to avoid conflicts of interest. Trump is now working to sell that lease in a deal that could net his company $100 million in profits. And the negotiations, of course, have coincided with this renewed scrutiny from lawmakers and prosecutors. So that's what's going on there. Nag. Hmm. Yes. I have a little schadenfreude for us today. You ready?
0: I'm so ready.
1: I'm so ready for this. Here we go. Apparently, the federal crime investigations don't pay. That's the story and the lesson behind this. After two breakneck fundraising quarters to kick off 2021, the Matt Gates campaign ended. Ended a $94,838.65 loss. You did not mishear that. Lost. Almost $95,000 on last year. And that's according to a report filed on Monday with the Federal Elections Commission. So apparently, not a lot of people want to donate to a pedophile, mm. a rapist, because they're underage, so that's what he is. Okay. Mm. All told, the Gates campaign hemorrhaged well over a million dollars in costs last year that appeared associated with the investigation and related fallout. More than one out of every $5 raised in that same period. Mm-hmm. Now, even though the Gates campaign ended the year with a bit over $1.5 million in the bank, it's highly unusual for a congressman to spend more money in a non-election year <laughs> than the campaign actually takes in. So I also have to wonder about the legalities of him using campaign finances to what clearly could be paying his legal bills. It's interesting. and It's womp, a question womp. that should be answered,
0: but oh, he doesn't, he didn't make the money he thought he was going to. Lost $95,000. Mm. It happens. Mm. Oh, well. Schadenfreude. Delicious. Thank you for that. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with Laura Packard to discuss health care and abortion care in an election year. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG and today's show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. I love sleeping, sleeping is my favorite thing and it's crucial to get a good night's sleep. Uh, I used to have insomnia, I would toss and turn, I would have trouble sleeping and I thought initially it was anxiety or the stress of politics or the news but actually it turns out I was sleeping on a mattress designed for someone else. Thank goodness I discovered Helix Sleep. They have mattresses for every body type and sleeping style and if you go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and take their quick online quiz, You'll be matched with a mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. Mattresses range from soft, medium, and firm, as well as those that regulate body temperature and back alignment, and even Helix Plus mattresses for plus size sleepers. As a side sleeper who prefers a medium firm mattress, the Helix Midnight was just right for me, and that's who they matched me with, and now it's my boyfriend. Thanks to Helix, I fall asleep easily, sleep through the night. I wake up feeling refreshed and alert with no aches and pains. As you know, Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. It was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix to improve your sleep. And Helix has a 10-year warranty. And you can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. That's more than three months. And uh, they'll pick it up if you don't love it. They even have financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. For listeners at helix slash daily beans. That's helix, H E L I X, sleep.com daily beans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Everybody, welcome back. Happy to be joined today by my friend Healthcare Voter, it's just this really amazing organization. Please welcome Laura Packard. Hello, Laura. Hello. Oh, it's good to see you again. I'd like to bring you on every once in a while to get an update of what's going on with healthcare in this country, just because we have. Democrats in the White House and Congress doesn't mean that stuff's not in peril, because, you know, as as you know, we have very narrow margins in, in Congress in the House and Senate. But I wanted to open up with some good news. We have, again, record enrollment in the Affordable Care Act in the, in the ACA. And can we talk a little bit about that and when enrollment ends, if it's over, et cetera?
2: Yes. So open enrollment is over in most states, not all, but most states uh, that use healthcare.gov. The uh, deadline was January 15th. However, if you have a change in life status, like you get married, you get divorced, you move, you have a baby, you lose health insurance through your job, that all qualifies you for a special enrollment period so you can enroll within 60 days of those things happening but for most people most states it's over for now until uh much later this year.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And record enrollment again it just
0: keeps getting harder and harder as time goes by for Republicans to kill this. They they weren't able to do it when we when we hadn't added an additional 30 million people or so. And it just you know once you give an entitlement it's very difficult to peel it back and so I'm I'm really happy with these numbers because it's going to be you know, barring some sort of a coup and election malfeasance, it's going to be very difficult to overturn uh, the ACA. And also, we have to forget or we can't forget that we still have a six three Supreme Court, mm-hmm. even though Justice Breyer has retired, and we're going to be getting a new Supreme Court justice. It's going to be a black woman, and I'm very excited about that because I think we need to have representation at the table when these discussions occur. So even if it doesn't change the balance of the court. It does add another voice and another perspective, which could push the court a little more to the left or I should say more to reasonable <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> because we don't I don't always want to think in terms of, of these jurists as Democrats or Republicans. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on how this nomination could impact health care?
2: Well, as you mentioned, it's a 6-3 court, so this is not going to mean sunshine and rainbows and a reasonable outlook on life. <laughs> <laughs> but as you said, representation is good and laying the groundwork uh, for the future, You know, replacing Justice Breyer, the oldest uh, person on the court, with somebody uh, younger with fresh ideas who will hopefully be on the supreme court for decades to come. So, I mean, this doesn't fix this illegitimate court with people that were put on this court that never should have been, even setting aside Brett Kavanaugh's personal illegal illegal issues, just the fact that Mitch McConnell refused to allow President Obama to have his rightful supreme court pick means this is an illegitimate court. But again, Hopefully there will be court reform so we can do something about this illegitimate court. But as it stands, this is good news.
0: Yeah. And, and also because abortion care is health care, we are going to be facing. I, I don't necessarily think now the shadow docket aside and bullshit aside in Texas with SBA. I think that the 15 week Mississippi case is going to be probably the one that guts or repeals Roe altogether. That's going to be heard this summer. And, you know, we'll be seeing a new person on on the court, on the Supreme Court. However, I feel like we're in a situation now where for decades the Republicans have had the baton for having abortion as an issue for voters. And they're handing that baton to us. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if... I know that that it's been a long game for them to get a majority on the court and to gerrymander the hell out of out of this country. But I'm not sure they saw the second and third and fourth move after that, because I think that this could really I mean, we tend to lose the first midterm after an incumbent is elected. That's just historical fact. But this issue, I think, could be the driver to push voters to the polls and make make it now so one issue voters who believe that abortion care is health care, who are now, you know, wouldn't have voted prior, could vote now. And so I'm interested to see how this plays out. In the meantime, though, we have people who are unable to exercise their constitutional rights, which is,
2: I don't even know how you would begin to repair that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we live in a pro-choice country. But many people, most people don't vote with that single issue in mind. There are plenty of crossover voters that uh, vote for Republicans and Democrats. And, you know, this wasn't the top issue on people's minds because most people thought that this was settled law. It's been, you know, it's, it's been established for decades and generations have grown up with the right to full reproductive health care, including abortion. But I think that people took it for granted. And now we see what the multiple decades long right-wing uh, plan was. And, and they're, they're now about to get the results of the harvest that they, they reaped. So I think that you're right. This may radicalize some people that didn't realize that we are still fighting this battle that we thought was won decades ago. And I think it's it, it can be like the attacks on the Affordable Care Act and that we thought this was done and it comes back. And so they, they played the long game. And for a lot of people that maybe were not paying as much attention or were not voting on this particular issue, they may have voted for Republicans or even Democrats that they that they agreed with on other issues. They didn't like their their stance on choice, but they just went along with the whole package And this is where we are today. Like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski claim to be pro-choice, and yet they set the wheels in motion for the Supreme Court to take away our right to choose.
0: They did. They absolutely did and refused to see it, that that's what they did. And, uh, you know, I find it very interesting for for a very long time. Uh, Democrats just haven't been voting on what happens to the Supreme Court. That's what happened in 2016. We lost the Supreme Court because of people not showing up to vote in 2016 because we don't make it a major issue. And, and it, it always kind of confused me because if you're a health care voter, whether it's reproductive rights or health care in general, did you not see those cases coming to the Supreme Court? And, and so I hope that, I mean, we've, we've been knocked down the ladder a few rungs and, and it's going to take time to climb back up. And I know everybody's exhausted. So what's sort of the plan going forward? I, I mean, I kind of think it'll work itself out with the, with the Roe stuff in, in summer. But I mean, what's the plan going forward to to draw more attention to how much the Supreme Court impacts impacts healthcare?
2: Well, I think that after the Supreme Court rules this year, you know, we could live in a country where half the people, half the states no longer have a right to an abortion. Including uh, where I'm from, Michigan, it's been on the books a long time. An abortion ban, it just hasn't been in effect because of Roe v.ersus Wade. So all of those old laws on the books in states that you wouldn't necessarily think about are going to have real effects. And we'll see if it happens soon enough to affect how people vote this November. I mean, who knows what things are going to be like in November, what things are going to be like with COVID, what things are going to be like with all these different issues. You know, are there going to be wildfires covering half the country again? So nobody can know what it looks like 11 months out, but it could be that people will be voting based on choice. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: you and you mentioned COVID and that's, you know, that's always going to play a role. And I think Pfizer is going to apply either yesterday or today, for emergency use authorization for their vaccine, for COVID vaccines for six months to five years old. Did Pfizer start this or did the FDA ask for this? What What's the story here?
2: Well, the FDA asked Pfizer to do it. And it sounds like Pfizer was taking its time because they weren't sure if kids needed two doses or three doses. They're still doing research and figuring that out. But I think FDA, rightfully so, thinks, let's get the show on the road. Let's get kids having two doses. And if they need a third, we'll figure that out later. But let's let's make sure that six months to five years old children have protection against this potentially deadly pandemic.
0: Right. Because after the second dose, you got four to six months after that to, to figure it out. And two doses is better than zero, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if you haven't exactly. figured out the third. So I personally know a lot of parents of young children that are very relieved that this is finally happening. It's been a while and so I'm not surprised that the FDA is like poking Pfizer like hey, come on, you know, we know one and two are safe. Let's get on with one and two. So I think that that's going to be interesting as well. And then of course, I think that the, you know, in certain states are showing that the the Omicron variant is is tapering off. I think we're out of the woods in some areas, but we might be going into the woods in other areas and that's exactly what happened with the novel coronavirus and the Delta variant mm-hmm. which just depends on where the travelers are and, and the, where the you know, population density is, is greatest.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But
0: it seems 90 percent of the people who end up in hospitals are unvaccinated. And, and so it makes it very difficult for CDC and Joe Biden and, and anybody else globally, the, the World Health Organization, to contain the virus, because that's what encourages mutations is when we have unvaccinated people running around.
2: Yeah. And also there are now various treatments available, but they are in very short supply. Mm-hmm. So uh, on my show Care Talk, we just had a doctor on Monday uh, answering people's questions about COVID. And she said, you know, there are treatments available, but even at her hospital, there's a board that decides, you know, that looks at all the factors of each person's case and decides whether they are, whether they can get it because they have such small supply. Mm. So it, you you can't rely on the treatments right now. The best treatment is to not get COVID and uh, to be fully vaccinated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agree. And t- tell me a little bit more about Care Talk, wh- wh- why you started it, when people can hear it, and, and sort of what you guys
2: discuss. Well, my show is on Mondays at 430 Eastern uh, via Act TV. So it's on all their social media channels and Roku and Fire and so on. And we answer people's questions about health care and health insurance in America. And we uh, usually tackle one topic a week. So this week we had an expert talk about and answer questions on COVID. The week before, we uh, had an expert talk about uh, disparities in healthcare and inequality in the healthcare system. And so we are going to keep having weekly shows and answer your questions on how to fight a medical bill, what to do if you get a bad diagnosis, You know, how do you get a second opinion? Just all the things that people wonder when dealing with our incredibly complicated and broken healthcare system. It's too bad
0: that we have to have a show like that. But I, it's such important information, and I'm so glad you're doing it. and I'm glad you brought up disparities and disenfranchised communities that, that end up being impacted more by things like COVID, climate change, etc., and why, again, that's so important that we have black representation on the Supreme Court, because a lot of these cases are going to end up there. And, and to have that voice at the table, bringing that perspective is, regardless of whether, you know, Squee and his beer pals voted vote down. I think it's an important perspective to have. I encourage everyone to listen to Care Talk, and I appreciate your time today, and I hope you'll check back in with us uh, soon to find out more about COVID, the, the Pfizer vaccine, and perhaps Moderna is going to jump on the train, and, and uh, we'll see what happens as we start getting into these arguments over reproductive health care in the Supreme Court. Laura Packard, thank you. Thank you. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey everybody, it's AG and the Daily Beans today is brought to you by Athletic Greens, a health and wellness company that simplifies daily nutrition. It's such an easy habit to make and form and keep and it's delicious and nutritious and it fills the gaps in my diet. Maintaining good nutritional habits can be difficult. You know, I have a very intense schedule, it's very busy and I intermittently fast and I'm paleo. So I, <laughs> I, have, a lot of, I have a lot of gaps in my diet but in my you know nutrition, I'm missing a lot but Athletic Greens helps so much. It has 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food ingredients. And AG1 delivers comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition, including multivitamins, a multimineral, probiotics, a green superfood blend, and more. I use AG1 to stay focused and productive during the day. It gives me the energy boost that I need. It fills those gaps in my nutrition. It's my morning ritual. I get up, I take some before I drink it. One scoop, it's so good, and off to the gym I go. Using AG1's high-quality, bioavailable ingredients, you can replace multiple products, or pills with one tasty, healthy drink. That's the convenience part, right? That's the easy part. Because I used to have like 10 different bottles of vitamins and gummies and probiotics and all these different things, and now it's just one tasty scoop of AG1. And it fits keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, and vegan lifestyles. AG1 has less than one gram of sugar. It doesn't have any GMOs. AG1 has no chemicals and no artificial ingredients either. And it tastes great. The thing I like the most about Athletic Greens, though, is they constantly update their stuff based on science. Yes, in contrast to most nutritional supplements that don't change after they hit the market, Athletic Greens continuously improves AG1 based on the latest research, and that has resulted in 53 improvements over the past decade and counting. And if you haven't tried it yet, I really recommend it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is gonna give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just visit athleticgreens.com dailybeans today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com/dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well,
1: we'll on.
2: Good news is on the way.
0: And if you have any good news or whoopee stories or lovey stories or confessions or corrections, idioms, whatever you want to send us, what the mutt, I like, find the cat. Those are pretty good. Uh, You can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And I'm going to kick us off, Dana. Let's do it. We have a submission from Mary with no pronouns given. Hi, Ag, Dana, and Amy. My good news is that I was able to buy some Girl Scout cookies this week. Mm. I was never a Girl Scout, but a few of my friends have daughters who are in the Girl Scouts, and so I've been more than happy to support them in their Girl Scouting endeavors. They have a new flavor this year, Adventurefuls, which are brownie-inspired cookies. I'm a fan of Thin Mints and Samoas. Me too, Mary. Yum. Samoas are the same, best. Same, same, Mary. Thin Mints, number two. For this week's pet tax, I'm including a picture of my mom's cat, Lily, sleeping. She's around 10 years old. Oh, Woo-hoo. she's very comfortable. I love the afghan in the quilt, too. That looks very
1: nice. nice. Thank you so much for kicking us off, Mary. We're moving to Tom. His pronouns are he and him. Hello, Allison and Dana. longtime listener, many-time good news submitter. Whoopie Story? Yeah, my older daughter has a blankie. She took everywhere. It was one of her baby blankets her mom made her. It was a flannel with satin edges. She would suck her thumb while holding the blanket in the same hand, her index finger stroking the satin as she fell asleep. Very calming, I'm sure. That poor blankie got washed, repaired, trimmed for many years. Last I saw it, it was like mm, four inches long and two inches wide. Is that feet, AJ? I don't know. I don't know. I, I know we should know that. I think it's inches. Well, the that would be tiny though. Quotes are inches, yeah. But maybe that's how big it got after so much time. It could be. All right, sat on only two. Sa- was sat on two sides. She still has it stashed somewhere. So I can't imagine the blanket only being <laughs> four by two inches though. That's got to be feet. The last I saw it, it was like four by. Yeah, that's got to be feet. <laughs> maybe I don't know if it's inches, and that's amazing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Moving on, though, because we only have an hour podcast. Uh, She still has it stashed somewhere. Here she is in the late 80s on her first computer. Oh, my God, this picture's adorable. Then a year ago, changing a dressing on my foot, being very serious about it. And her fluffy black cat, Io, as in Jupiter, moon, Io, pronounced Io. Well done, Dana. While I was living in her dining room. Okay. Again, many thanks for the humanity you bring to this hard world. Hmm. These pictures are fantastic. And I love that your daughter's like, give me the tool <laughs> or give me something, <laughs> whatever, your ch-
0: whatever it is. Look at that floof. Oh, and Aww. cute whose eyes match the blanket. Oh, so cute. Thank you for that submission. All right, I'm going to take the next two here. This is from anonymous Pronoun she and her. Find the cat. There's four cats in this photo. They don't usually get along, but in a warm, sunny room, they are prepared to compromise. I found them. All of them. Number four, look for the lump, is the worst offender with claws of fury. Thanks again for being a great start to my day. I see the lump. Yeah. Two, three, four. There
1: they are. That's a beautiful oh, I room. Want to be I... Getting some sunshine. I know. It's a gorgeous room. so much f- sunlight. Floor to ceiling windows like and that. And French beautiful. doors. Oh, and they included a,
0: a picture of the cat under the blanket. <laughs> That's funny.
1: <laughs> I'm the ah. lump.
0: That's what that is. I'm the lump. it's so cute all right all right next up from joffie pronouns he and him hey y'all i'm joffie pronounced joffie all right go me a progressive gay marine veteran out of miami i've been listening to the show since the msw days and enjoy listening to the daily beans every day i've never really had a reason to write in before but i wasn't sure if you'd all heard what's going on with twitch i have not there are losers and scumbags who target marginalized individuals with hate raids and follow botting which is basically where people come into your chat and harass you in a coordinated way Beyond it being harmful for those communities, it also hurts their growth and metrics because it's inserting bad data into their numbers. Yeah. I'm also a streamer on Twitch trying to provide a sex-positive, body-positive, safe space for other veterans, LGBTQIA plus people, and it's anxiety-inducing to try to figure out which part of my identity will be attacked. Oh, God. The follow bots I get most often are related to veterans and suicide, which is extra disgusting if you consider how much higher the rates of suicide are amongst veterans versus the general population. On my most recent stream, I got follow botted. It's one form of harassment we receive. It can be disheartening to stream for hours only to get a fake follow. It can leave some people shaken. If there's one thing I've learned from the Trump years, is the only way to stomp out hate is with love. So I hope your listeners continue to support LGBTQ. Content, creators, and not just me, but fellow artists, podcasters, and filmmakers, too. Amen to that. Oh, yes. Dog pet tax is my almost eight-year-old Shiba Inu Kenji in his unicorn costume, which he hates, and I love, (laughs) and his adorable habit of picking up his food bowl and taking it with him around the house, you know, just in case more food magically appears. Oh, my goodness. How cute. God, it's a beautiful dog, too. Oh, it looks so soft. Oh, where's the unicorn? There it is. (laughs) Saving the best for last. In the unicorn outfit. Yeah, he's like,
1: "Mm, get me out of this. It's amazing, (laughs) Jofi. I hope you continue to speak out and have that that platform. I'm so sorry that happened. Um, I, I don't, I don't even know what can be done about stuff like that. Ag, I can't even think to begin how to fix that problem.
0: No, in fact, when we used to do our happy hours, Dana. We first we did them publicly. We would put the links out to the public. Yeah. And that would happen to us. We would get people who would come in. And, you know, if you're on a Zoom and somebody else is making noise, you can't you'd have to mute them. You can't really shut them off until you go and find them in a sea of 300 people and then mute them. And we would get that. We would get just epithets and terrible, awful names and loud music and screaming until we hadn't finally shut it down and made it for patrons only. Which people weren't so awful? Why are but it was too much fucking time on their hands? Yeah, go do something good in the world. Uh, Yeah, if you spent that much time just working on yourself, no shit, your life might not suck. Yeah, no right. All right, this is Jay
1: pronouncing him. Hi, ladies. As always, you guys are amazing, and the one podcast I listen to, no matter what happens in the day, I will always catch up. So thank you so much. Thanks, Jay. I've attached a picture of a childhood toy. His name is Tiger, a knitted teddy bear. I've had since I was about three years old. So I've had him for almost 40 years. God, I'm old. He was the one toy I would pack in my suitcase no matter what happened. He is in need of some professional care to repair face. Lastly, (laughs) lastly, I've also attached pictures of the wedding cake I did for my friends and my wedding gift this past weekend. I'm so proud of myself as I'm not a professional baker, but I do a lot of baking. Both guys loved it. I want to wish them the best for the future. Please have a wonderful day. P.S. Dana, your final thoughts for our community are so special and are valued. Thank you very much for saying that. And as always, you are welcome to come visit London in the UK anytime. Oh, we have a place to stay in London, Dana. Sweet. With a whoopee. Look at this bear. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Look at the pants. (laughs) Oh my God, the pants. All of this is amazing. Oh my goodness. (gasps) Look at this. Oh. Jay, well done, mister I'm not a baker. Is that buttercream? I want it. It's gorgeous, whatever it is. I love the kind of diagonal. Yeah. <sighs> Jay, you should be super proud of this. I know that you are. This is wonderful. And I have no doubt the grooms loved every second
0: of this. I know. I, I want cake.
2: This I know. is so beautiful. <laughs>
1: and now AG
0: wants cake. <laughs> That's all I can think of now is like,
1: I'm like, cake. what a happy couple. And AG's like, we're going to sign off. I need some sugar. <laughs>
0: This looks so delicious and so wonderful. Oh, man. Uh, The flowers are beautiful. The colors are beautiful. It's so warm and just it feels like love. I love this so much. It does. Well done, Jay. All right. Whatever you have to send us. Anything you you create. If you're a creator, a baker, even if you're not a baker and you baked something. Some cookies you made? Any? I want to see what you what these oh, wonderful. God, this is going
1: to kill me. I'm trying not to eat sugar, and you've just asked for my <laughs> nemesis to be mailed to
0: us. <laughs> not mailed, just photos. Just photos. Emailed. <laughs> but anything you create, art. I know we have so many good artists and crocheters oh, yeah. and knitters and uh, glass blowers. I know that, uh, I know that well, I've had some people send um, me some. Obsessed with glass
1: blowing, by the way. If there's anyone glass, that is a glass blower out there, and I visit your city. I will go
0: watch you do your job. I'm obsessed with it. I think it's magnificent. So along with whoobies and loveys and blankies, mine was a blankie, not a whoobie. I just use whoobie because of Mr. Mom, the movie. So aside from those, I, I, I still want those. And then, of course, Halloween pictures always. I want to know what you make. And if you sell it, you can send us your website and send us photos and we'll, we'll plug it. We'll say, here's where you can get this amazing stuff. Um, would love to see what our creators are creating because we need to create things because so many people are trying to destroy stuff. Well said. Do not ask me for my final thoughts. That is how we should end this podcast episode. (laughs) I think if we put anything out into the universe, it should be that creating energy. Anyway, Dana. No, I just said, don't ask. You're ruining your poignant message. All right. That's fine. But I love everyone. Dana, I love you and and I love you too. We're going to see everybody tomorrow. We've got another great guest. It's a surprise. So we'll see you then. And until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G. And I've been D.G. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane